In Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at an incredible story of courage. The apostles, uh, Peter and John, we've been kind of following for the last couple of weeks. And today when we come to Acts 4, we just, we see them as this example of unstoppable courage. The example of an unstoppable courage that is lived out right there in the a, in a middle of a huge crowd. Now, when you think of courage, there's a, a lot of things that come to your mind. You know, we all enjoy reading the books and, and watching the movies that have a storyline of great courage. And the reason for that is deep down inside of all of us, we know that we're called to be a courageous people. And so we often will live our lives in the mindset of that, and we hope that we can be just like that storyline. But I wonder what courage looks like to you or, or what it means to you. Let me show you some pictures and, and let's kind of think about what does courage look like. Here's the first one. A fireman getting ready to run into a burning building. That, that's courage. That's like top level sacrifice, not thinking of self, but just going at it. We would call that a definite def- definition of courage. Here's the next one. How about a young girl Dying in a hospital bed from some disease. The level of courage it takes for this young lady to overcome that. Or the courage that it takes for a family to sit beside her day in and day out. And to find true comfort and joy in Jesus Christ. That takes a level of courage. How about our military? I think about the men and women who daily are preparing. They're practicing. And they are set and ready in their own mind to defend our freedom as a nation. And many of them do that very thing, and it's an incredible level of courage. There's this guy. I call this stupidity, not courage. (laughs) It's a beautiful scene. He's standing on one of the tallest buildings in that city and as a statue. Now, the poor guy that took his picture, he doesn't get any credit for this, but uh, I don't really call this courage. I call this stupidity. But uh, whatever level of courage you think that might be, this morning when we look at courage, there's a lot of already considerations in our own mind of what that looks like. The the Merriam-Webster online resource, it said that the first usage or first known usage of the word courage was in the 14th century. And they said that it came from English, French, and Latin to form this word courage. And what it really means in its most literal sense is more at heart. So courage, more at heart. So when we see courage in Acts chapter number 4, I really think this is more at heart with Peter and John. Look with me in Acts 4. Now, we're going to study several of these verses, but for the um, context this morning of just reading a few verses here at the beginning, I want us to start in verse number 12. He said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. This morning, we're going to dig into several verses of Acts 4, and we're going to see this unstoppable courage. Let's pray and ask God to guide us together. Father, in our time today, we certainly want to begin by expressing our sincere need and desire 
that you would work and teach us today. I know that we come with a lot of things on our mind, a lot of things on our plate. We live busy lives, and uh, we can be easily distracted by all of those things in the next 40 minutes. But I would pray that you would uh, clear our minds, clear our thoughts, that we can concentrate on the text today. Help us to see this unstoppable courage. As your messenger today, I recognize the need for clarity of thought as well as to be Holy Spirit-led by the, with the words that I will speak. I don't want anything to be said out of my own intentions or in my own mind, but I want everything to be drawn from you. And so I hide behind you today. Lord, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, courage is not always exhibited or demonstrated by a physical act of violence or not necessarily in some heroic display outwardly. In these types of situations, we often would see them played out as we saw them on the pictures this morning, and we would say that that is courage. But courage can come in other ways. Consider the acts that have demonstrated moral courage, maybe emotional courage, relational courage, definitely spiritual courage. Now, when I think of this word courage... And there's a lot of thoughts that kind of jump out in our mind. But one of the things that I love to think about is back in 2001, in Greenville, South Carolina, I met a man by the name of Scott Edwards. And Scott Edwards was a, a creator and a designer and a seller of diamond rings. So what he would do is he would purchase diamonds, put them together. And in 2001, I had a major interest in buying a princess cut diamond ring so that I could travel to Indianapolis and pop the question, will you marry me? So when I first met Scott Edwards, he did this. He laid out a dark piece of velvet and put out all of his diamonds on that piece of velvet. Why? So that the diamonds would pop, so that they would grab my attention, so that they would stand out. I like to think of that way with courage. Courage is like the diamond against the dark velvet that just pops. It stands out. It grabs a hold of your attention. In the darkest of moments, that's when courage can be seen. Well, that's where Peter and John are. And in Acts 4, these are very dark circumstances for these men. Yet their courage shined brightly, this more at heart. What do we learn from their courageous example? Well, Look at verse number one. And as they spake unto the people, Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid their hands on them and put them in the hold until the next day, for it was now evening time. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So right away, this unstoppable courage leads us to proclaim truth even when it is not accepted. In verses 1 through 4, we see this courage that involves some type of confrontation. Our courage is always going to face some type of confrontation and possibly can result in some type of suffering. We have to be willing for that. After healing the lame man outside of the temple complex, Peter, John, and the lame man travel inside to the temple. And so they're inside the temple complex, and as they're speaking to the crowd, they're confronted by these people. You saw them in verse number two. It was the, or excuse me, verse number one. It was the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. 
Now the priests, well, they were the ones serving at the temple, and they were carrying out the daily sacrifices. And so the priests were there at this moment as Peter and John are proclaiming the truth. They take note. They hear it. They were grieved by it. They were annoyed by what the message was. Look who else caught their attention. It was the captain of the temple. This is the top cop. This is the police commissioner. This is the man with the plan there at the temple. He was second in charge, and they had the authority to make arrests. Their responsibility was to keep order in the temple and to protect the property. And so the captain of the temple also was intrigued, discouraged, and annoyed by this message. Look at the third group. It's the Sadducees. Now, this was a group, uh, one of the major Jewish influencing groups of the first century. Now, there's something about the Sadducees is that they would have always been at the temple. They would have been teaching, but the, their, their teaching was so different from what Peter and John were proclaiming because the Sadducees believed that the only authority of Scripture was the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so they believed there was no other, no other authority. So they would always just study the Pentateuch. They also had strong beliefs that they didn't... Um, they didn't believe in angels or demons. The Sadducees also rejected the teachings about the resurrection and life after death. And so here, this is a really nice bunch to run into, don't you think? And uh, apparently, it was not the healing of the lame man that annoyed these groups of people. In verse number two, what grieved them or annoyed them or deeply disturbed them was that these men, the apostles, were teaching about the resurrection of the dead. In essence, they were sharing the gospel. They were proclaiming it. 5,000 people put their faith and trust, their belief in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. That's why we know that Peter and John were proclaiming the truth that Jesus had died for their sins. He was buried in the grave and three days later came back to life in the resurrection. Well, the Sadducees did not believe any of that. The, t the captain of the temple decide to arrest them. And here is the moment where courage takes place. Courage is standing for Christ even when you know the truth will not be accepted and sometimes not tolerated. We know that God will give us the courage to speak boldly for Christ. So for the Sadducees, they saw their responsibility to teach and interpret the scriptures. And they said this was their sole authority and their opportunity. So no one else could do it except what their teaching was false and blasphemous. Now, for us today, we must be discerners of truth. We know that there's a lot out there, a lot of belief systems, even good people who say that there's got to be more than one way to heaven. Even moral people who would try to say that their good works and their good accomplishments is all that they need to get to heaven. And so Christians, as the church, we have to be discerners of what we read, what we hear, what we watch, and what we allow our mind and heart to digest. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy to study, to show himself approved unto God. But also remember what Hebrews chapter 4, 12 says, for the word of God, the Bible, is quick and powerful. It's alive and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of, of, of soul and spirit. So to the dividing parts, it, it is able to, to give us knowledge and understanding to our soul, 
and to our spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. So we want to be discerners of truth. It means that we're going to wrap ourselves around God's word and we're going to always come to his truth. Now, I understand that we're in a day that is teaching us to, to believe nothing almost. This past week, I saw an article that came out that stated this. 38% of millennials say they fact-check sermons as the pastor is preaching. Isn't that incredible? 38% said that while he's preaching, they're fact-checking him. Now, my comment was this on social media. I said, wow, very interesting fact. Do you think this distracts them from hearing from the Holy Spirit throughout the message? Has the pastor lost all credibility in people's minds that they are having to fact check him during the message? I'm not really sure how I feel about this. I said, how about you? So then I decided, well, I'll ask the two millennial pastors on our staff. And so I sent them a message. I said, what do you think of this? Michael responded with great wisdom. He said, culture teaches us to question everything. And with immediate access to research it, then it's easy to do. Then he said, it's an information overload society which makes your job very hard. The minute someone is distracted or wants to check something you say, they can easily pull out their phone or swipe up. The word of God is more powerful though. So if you're preaching, then the Holy Spirit will work. What's interesting about that is some of you fact-checked my quote this morning on Merriam-Webster online that states what courage really means and the first use in the 14th century. How many of you fact-checked that? All right, you don't have to raise your hand. I know who you are. I saw you doing it. (laughs) But the truth is here that as the church, we must continue to proclaim biblical truth. Not man-made traditions, not man-made doctrines. Because remember, man-made traditions and man-made doctrines have stood for a period of time but have chased too many people away from God's church. And so we stick with the truth of God's word. If it says it, we live by it. If it's in his word, we passionately pursue it. And so we as a church have to be discerners of that. I don't mind if you fact check. Hey, re-listen to the message. Jot yourself some notes. Go home. Fact check everything. That means you're interested in knowing the truth. It's the person that just lets it go in, receives, and takes everything for what it's worth and never does anything with it. That's my concern as the church. And so what has caused so much trouble for the apostles is that what they're teaching is so contrary to what the religious leaders, the Sadducees, are doing in the temple and what the priests have allowed to take place. That Jesus never resurrected from the dead, that there's no angels and demons, that the only authority, certainly not the words of Jesus Christ, but that the only authority is from the Pentateuch. And so unstoppable courage leads us to proclaim truth even when it is not accepted. But look at verse number 12. The text that we read, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, well, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed was standing with them, well, they could say nothing against it. So unstoppable courage leads us to stand with others who live out the gospel. 
Now, what does live out the gospel really mean? Living out the gospel. Like we, we know gospel is good news and it is the proclamation of the truth that leads us to a place of salvation. That is the good news that I can have eternal life through Jesus Christ so that I don't have to bank on my good works and I don't have to hope one day that I'll go to heaven. I can know without a doubt based on the gospel message. So we get that. But what does living out the gospel mean? Well, I believe wholeheartedly the Bible teaches us that the power of the gospel message not only saves us, but it also sanctifies us, pushes us to live more like Jesus Christ. So the power of the gospel helps us to choose right and wisely to be holy and to be more like Jesus. When we think about living like Jesus, a sermon series we started 2019 with, living like Jesus takes on a whole new set of thought processes. And too often in our Christian liberty, we want to just say, hey, don't judge me. I'm doing the best I can. And in our Christian liberty, we say, I'm going to enjoy these moments as much as I can. And you just mind your own business and I'll live my life the way I will. And so too often we look to see how close we can get to the burning fire or to the edge without falling off instead of wholeheartedly just trying to pursue to be more like Jesus. And so that's why... We want to find those who are standing for the gospel, and we want to stand with them. This whole scenario is really a change for Peter. So you remember back that when Jesus was arrested and he was tried, do you remember that Peter denied Jesus three times because his courage failed him, because he was fearful he was totally afraid, and the text in Luke 22 even uses those words of fear. And so now something is so different with him. He is now standing strong with his ministry partner, John, as they live out the gospel together. Now, in, in our text, look at Acts chapter 4, because Peter's statements in his sermon, in verse number 10, we see that he says, Jesus gave his life for the sin of the world. If you want to cross-reference to Jesus saying that, jot down Mark 10, 45. Because remember, what, what Peter is speaking is based on years of experience from walking with Jesus and from sitting and listening and learning and watching Jesus. So when Peter in his message is proclaiming that Jesus gave his life for the sin of the world, he's remembering back when Jesus would say the very same thing in Mark 10, 45. In that same verse, in verse 10, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, proving his lordship. Matthew 12 would have been a cross-reference in verses 38 through 42, when he talked about being in the grave for three days and the Son of Man coming back to life. And then in verse number 12, Peter proclaims that Jesus is the only way for salvation. John chapter 14, verse 6, remembering Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so as we live in our culture and in our society, we know that they value tolerance. Now, honestly, we say that they value tolerance, but I, I, I really am now at that point where it's not that they're wanting tolerance. They're just wanting their message to be accepted and our message to be squashed. So if, if we have something very different to say against culture and society because we believe in the absolute truth of God's word, they're not interested in tolerance. 
they're interested in brainwashing and squelching and killing off God's church. And so we can't take that lightly. We have to be vigilant and we have to be discerning and we have to understand that the enemy is going to use whatever tactics he can to cause us as Christians to be desensitized and then take the hook, line, and sinker and just call it tolerance so that we can be more accepted by them. They're never going to accept us. And so let's not be a people-pleasing church. Let's never be a people-pleasing Christian. Let's stand for what we know is truth, and we do it out of love, and we do it, we do it out of respect. So as we live in this culture that values tolerance above all, how do we boldly and lovingly communicate the message of verse 12? Well, we do this, as I've said so many times, by doing what? Breaking down barriers, building relationships, and planting gospel seeds. Now, guess what? Sometimes that takes a little while. Sometimes it takes a two-hour lunch with an unsaved individual and walking away from that knowing that you have broken down barriers, built a relationship, and planted gospel seeds that may need to just be there for a little bit longer. Because we have to understand that our calling is to serve and to minister others and remember that God does the saving work. So I'm just going to do my very best to love people. And when I love people, that's going to break down any barriers. It's going to break down any misconceptions that they say, all you're interested in is cramming your message down my throat. All you're interested in is gaining a new follower. All you're interested in is being able to talk the whole time. But if we can just sit knee to knee with somebody and have a conversation and listen and learn to care about who they are and their story and their life, that's a part of breaking down barriers. And then sending a message to them that says, hey, just want you to know I'm praying for you as you travel to here or praying for you and your son in this relationship. And then it's allowing that to build into something that they begin to understand. You're really interested in them so that every time a gospel seed is planted, it's going to be well-received instead of rejected. Why? Because of how we live, because of what we say, what we speak, and how we live this transformed life. This is so crucial, and it's so important that we learn to stand with others who are living out the gospel. That's why disunity within the church frustrates me so much. Because, like, let's just quit being nitpicky over things that are just preferences. And let's remember that we're all living out the gospel. We are trying to, to, uh, to be used by God to make an impact in other people's lives. We're looking to make a difference how God works through me and out of me. And so we would say that, yeah, I don't like how they dress, or I don't like how they sing, or I don't like what they do, or I don't like their personality, or I can't stand their coffee, or what in the world, they always eat a, a this kind of donut and leave sprinkles on the floor. You know, all of a sudden, we've got all these nitpicky issues that are not relevant and important to the gospel, and then we forget how important it is to just stand together as we live out the gospel power in our life. And so we pray for one another, we cheer for each other, we look to see how we can encourage one another, and our job is simply to share the truth and lovingly serve others. Look at verse 13 and 14. 
because the response was how they saw the boldness of Peter and John. (laughs) And they knew that these men had been with Jesus. So there is something incredible here. Peter and John have proclaimed truth. Verse number five, they're preaching. They come to the end in verse number 12 with this sermon. And the men are responding not based on the words they're saying, but based on the boldness they proclaimed, the fact that these men had been with Jesus. They saw the lame man who had been healed has now changed and standing with Peter and John. This really left them speechless with nothing to say against them or their message. Now, the last thought here of this unstoppable courage, it leads us to respond respectfully while remaining unwavering. Because the the initial interrogations are now over, and the council have dismissed Peter and John and the lame man, the healed man, they've dismissed them, and they've had their, their little meeting together, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. They know they don't like the gospel message being preached in the temple. 5,000 people's hearts have been changed. They've been drawn to the gospel, and now they follow Jesus Christ and all of his teachings. They don't like that. The Sadducees, they they feel as if Peter and John are crossing the line. They're, They're teaching something contrary to what they believe and what they're teaching. And so as they talked among themselves, the best thing that they could do was with this conclusion in verse number 18, look at it. They called them back, and they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So here's the threat. Now, what's the response of Peter and John? Well, there was no revolt. There was no protest. There was no shout or demand for their rights to be met. But on the other hand, they did not stand by like whipped puppies and just go with the worldly flow or the godly de- godless demands. They simply responded in verse number 19. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, will judge ye. You be the judge of that. Basically, he's saying, if it's, if it's better and more important for us to listen to you than to God, you be the judge of that. In verse number 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I mean, it's, it's flowing out of them. They're like, you guys are going to make your decision whether you're going to say that we have to listen to you instead of God. But I'm just going to tell you guys that it is what we have seen and heard, what we've experienced is not something we can hold in. Hey, hey by the way, let me tell you a story of a few weeks ago when we saw 3,000 people get saved. And then every day, people are putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's incredible. And then, counsel, let me just remind you that just a few hours ago, 5,000 people put their trust in Jesus Christ. So what we have inside of us, what we've seen and what we've heard, it's life-changing. And we have to tell others about it. Verse 20, they made it clear that they could not and would not stop speaking the name of Jesus. Now, Christians today, we have an unhealthy need for the approval of men. And we have to be careful with that very unhealthy need. Sometimes we are often just like the sign that reads, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Is that okay? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Some of you got that. 
But God's approval is all that matters. Now, that's easy to say. But it's another thing to put into practice and say, this is my motivation. The opinions of others will come and go, but God's love is unchanging and unconditional. So always respond respectfully, but remain unwavering and firm. Now notice verse number 23. Because in verse number 23, they go to their friends and with a spirit of unity, they pray together. Did you see that? Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company, their friends, and they reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, together in a spirit of unity, standing and living out the gospel. And they said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. That's a pro- proclamation of his um, being all-powerful, the creator of all. And that's who they're calling out to. So in our response, we understand that this is an extraordinary habit by the early church, that they prayed together often and they saw results because of it. We notice that it accomplishes much and it really accomplishes more than anything else will ever accomplish. That's the power of prayer. Now, most of us, we were taught as kids to think before we speak. And, um, and for the most part, that's really great advice, isn't it? But sometimes we need to speak even though we know our words will get us in trouble. Going back to the very first thought is proclaim the truth even when it is not accepted. Stand with those who are living out the gospel. Respond respectfully while remaining unwavering. That takes courage. I want you to consider Matthew a year ago. The world was in shock back in 2015 when 21 men were kidnapped from Egypt and they're taken by the terrorists to the beach in order that they would be beheaded. Matthew was one of the 21, but it was ironic that he was included in the group of 21 men because he was neither an Egyptian nor a Christian. He just happened to be working with the 20 other men there in Libya when the terrorists came through and kidnapped these men because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the scene was played out that as these men were kneeling there, 21 men all lined up on the beach there on their knees. With each a terrorist standing behind them, they were given the opportunity to live if they would renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. And so one by one, As they were given the opportunity to either deny Christ or proclaim his holy name, each of them said, Jesus is my Lord. Finally, the time came to Matthew. When he was given the opportunity to live or renounce the name of Jesus Christ, his response was this, their God is my God. Beheaded. Unstoppable courage. In America, most of the Western culture, we are fortunate that we don't often find ourselves prohibited from sharing the gospel. Yet we can still find ourselves being hesitant. And and we can 
find ourselves in situations where we know deep within us is an unstoppable courage that pushes us to proclaim the truth even when it's not accepted. So this morning, we must take time to express our desire to God to be courageous in our service to Christ. Pray that you will actively be courageous in this coming week and that you will practically put it into practice. Sometimes that means starting to break down barriers, build a relationship and plant gospel seeds with someone that you never thought you would have the opportunity to do it with. This past week, I was able to meet with Seth and I told Seth how my church family laughed at me when I told them what he said when he learned that I was a pastor. And he said, you don't look like a pastor. And you guys laughed so loud last Sunday. And I told him how that hurt my feelings so deeply. But I had the opportunity to meet with him for two hours at lunch on uh, Friday. Jehovah's Witness background, doesn't believe in the rapture, doesn't believe that um, the soul will last for eternity. But after two hours of conversation, I can tell you a lot about who he is, his family, his story, and he can tell you a lot about me. We began to plant gospel seeds, and our prayer now is that when he gets back from his trip to Louisiana, that we can have another meal together so that we can continue to get to know each other and continue to plant gospel seeds. So church, sometimes they come out of the blue, like running into somebody in a very congested line at Sam's Club, while everybody around you stressing about a case of water and a gallon of gas, hoping their roof doesn't get ripped off in five days. But in that moment, remember, those unstoppable opportunities that God puts into our place as God moments takes the next step of courage so that we would be willing to obey and engage with what he's put in front of us. Let's do that, church. Let's build our stories. Let's sit next to somebody who God has brought into our life that we're just willing and wanting to pour into. Unstoppable courage. God, we need your help in this way. We need you to give us the mindset to be courageous in our service to Christ. We need you to help us to be actively courageous even in this upcoming week. So I don't know what that looks like for us individually. You do, and the person does. And so I pray that we would even just, we would want that. We would anticipate that, and we would be praying for that. Sometimes courage calls us to stand for truth, even in a very difficult circumstance. But help us to find our strength in you. Help us to purposely stand with others who are living out the gospel, unified together, pursuing the same mission. But Lord, help us to respond respectfully. People are going to push tolerance. People are going to combat our message. Oh, you've already promised that. <laughs> so it shouldn't surprise us, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't hurt us. It's a calling and a privilege. So help us to respond respectfully while remaining unwavering. So Father, today use this message to strengthen us and help us to be bolder, better for you. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, 
Lord, show them now the truth and reality of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for meeting with us today. We give this time of invitation and application to you in Jesus' name. Amen.